I want to start a new series today, and I'm just going to jump right into it called Anxious for Nothing. And for many of you who have been in church uh, for a length of time, this thought and this scripture, and we're not even going to read the specific scripture in Philippians chapter 4 that this comes from. We're not going to read that today. We will get there. Uh, but this, this series, and I'll tell you a little bit more as to why in a few moments, this series, I believe the Lord laid it on my heart right at the end of last year, the beginning of this year. And um, it, it had to do with this passage, this verse that we read today. And I want to read it one more time. I just believe there's a lot of power hidden here. And, and I like to be careful when I preach from singular uh, verses to, to not proof text the Bible. But I'm going to do that today. <laughs> what I mean by that is I don't like to take a verse and pull it completely and totally out of context and not give you the context or the circumstances surrounding that verse. Uh, I like to, to paint the full picture of why this was said and what it means, and, and, but today I'm not going to do that, mostly because uh, I don't have time, and, but also because it, regardless of the context, the promise still stands, and the promise is true that we, according to what the Lord says to the prophet Isaiah, he tells us to not be afraid. So we don't have to live in fear. Why do we not have to live in fear? This is really important, right? Why? No, why, why don't we have to live in fear? Because he's with us, right? And that's the title of this, today's sermon. He's with you. Come on, put your hand over your heart and just say it to yourself. He's with me today. He's with me today. Isaiah said, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Anxiety is the most common medically diagnosed mental disorder in the United States, affecting over 40% of all Americans. And I'm not talking about, and when I say that, I, am, I do not mean a person who would say, yes, I deal with anxiety sometimes. I am talking about a person who has been to a medical professional and has been diagnosed as suffering from anxiety disorder. Over 40% of, of Americans today, this includes, this includes children, this includes adults. And I would say that it is a safe assumption to, to assume that the remaining 60% of Americans that do not fall into this medically diagnosed category also deal with anxiety at least on a higher level than they probably did a few years ago. I wonder if anybody would be honest enough today to raise your hand and say, you know what, Pastor Drew, sometimes I struggle with anxiety myself. I know I do. I do sometimes. Usually Saturday nights going into Sunday mornings, I think, oh, Lord, please help me not mess this thing up that you're doing. But why? Why do we struggle with anxiety? John, we live in the safest country during the safest time in all of human history. I want you to, I want you to just... I want you to meditate on that fact for a moment. We live in the safest country. Now, is, is, are the United States of America perfect? Absolutely not, right? But, but listen, 
only a poor student of history would, would say, oh, this is the worst of times, okay? Uh, only, only someone who has not taken the time to study and learn about history. I mean, if, if, you, if you do just a little bit of reading, you will find out that even just as recent as 100 years ago, the life expectant, expectancy for, for, for babies and pregnant mothers was a fraction of, of what it is today. You, you would see that, that, that crime and, and, and all, not, I'm not just talking about the United States. You know, when we think about the past, we, we tend to romanticize the past. And when we think about days gone by, we kind of see it through the lens of something like Andy Griffith, right? But how many of you are, are good enough students of history or lived through the 60s or 70s and understand that the whole country did not look like Mayberry? Right? And, you know, we talk about, oh, these are the worst of times in the church and, and situations in the church. And I would just encourage you to go read Paul's letter to the church at Corinth and understand that the church, since, it's, since day one, has had problems and had issues. And the reason why, the reason why it's had problems and had issues is because it is made up of people right? And if you are looking for the perfect church, and if you find the perfect church, please do not attend that church because you will mess it up, <laughs> right? And, and so, so I, I, I think it's important that we establish the truth that we are living in the safest country during the safest era of human history in all of recorded history, yet we are statistically the most anxious humans in history living in the most anxious country in the world. I, 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 Megan's giving me some amens from that row right there, and I appreciate it. I want you to, like, I know I just said it, and I know you heard it, but I want you to really hear what I'm telling you. And I want you to understand something, and it'll make sense as we go forth. We live during the most safe, prosperous time in all of the world, in all of history. And we live in the safest and most prosperous country in, in all of the world right now. And even though, according to history, we've got it better than anybody before us has ever had it. And even though, according to the, the, the study of the current state of the world in America, we have it better than anybody else in the rest of the world has it. Now, certainly there are exceptions to certain races and demographics and, and socioeconomic statuses throughout the remainder of the world. But as a general rule in the population of the United States, series talking to me, we have it better. Somebody help me sh shut that up. We have it better than anybody has ever had, and we have it better as Americans than anybody else currently has it right now. Yet, despite all of those truths, we suffer from anxiety more than any other people in the history of the world, as well as more than any other country in the world right now. That doesn't make any sense, right? But <clears throat> because the cure for anxiety right? The cure for worry is to, is to create systems and procedures and safety mechanisms to make sure that the thing that I'm afraid of or the thing that I'm worried about doesn't happen to me. Is it? Can I do this? Can I say this this morning? Back when I was a kid, back when I was a youngin, raise your hand if you're older than 40. 
Okay, <laughs> who went, Ugh. who did that? <laughs> That's amazing. I'm almost there, so. But, but as, I, as I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, I think most of us would, who are at least 40 years, almost 40, maybe I would say even 30, I would, I would venture to say that the world has changed more in the last 20 years than it did in the last 60 years prior to that. I think that's a pretty fair assumption. Now, obviously, specifics could look a little differently, but I think you understand the heart of what I'm saying. Back when I was a kid, can I tell you, we didn't have Dasani or Fiji or Smart Water. We had, we had, we had water hose water. And listen, I don't care how good your Fiji water is. I don't care how good your smart water is. It ain't making you smarter anyway. I got some I know better. I know it don't. I don't care how good your deer park is. There ain't nothing as good as good old-fashioned water hose water on a hot July day. But there's a trick to it. You got to let that thing run for a little bit because it will burn you like you ain't never been burned. And it's got to flush all the bugs out. I can't tell you how many times I drank a spider and didn't even realize it because I was so thirsty. I couldn't wait a few minutes for that water hose to get cleared out. Back, back when I was a kid, this is, this is, you don't see this at all anymore. Back when I was a kid, we rode in the back of trucks on the interstate sometimes, right? Hey, hey, back when I was a kid, we, I, I didn't know what a seatbelt was. I just thought it was this, I mean, it was this thing over here that was in our car for no reason whatsoever, right? You know, back when I was a kid, we didn't, have, we didn't wear seatbelts, but we had the right armor protection. You know what I'm saying? You know, ain't nothing that a mama can't stop right here with this, this right arm of protection. You know, and airbags and, and all that kind of, you know, I mean, backup cameras, my goodness, right? You had rearview mirrors. You know, learn how to use them. And sometimes you didn't even have all of them, <laughs> but you made it work. Uh, you know, I talked earlier about getting a car seat for Olivia, and it is true. She was born, and we had to borrow a car seat. Don't ask me why. We just weren't ready. But uh, we got her home, and then we went and bought our new car seat. And it was, I walked into Baby's R Us uh, right after she was born, and uh, it was on, on Kingston Pike. I think it, it's, it's not even open anymore, is it? And I walked in, and I literally told them, I want the safest, most expensive car seat you have. I have a credit card with the, well, I don't even know what the limit is. I don't care what it is. My baby girl needs the best, right? And so, I don't know. That's what we got her. Most of all, it was fa Kristen's favorite color. But back when I was a kid, here, show the picture. This was my car seat. I don't need no stinking car seat. Come on. That's a cute baby right there, ain't it? That's Magnolia Jr., huh? Yeah, back when I was a kid, we didn't wear helmets. We didn't, we didn't wear knee pads. You can get rid of that picture, please. I can see it back there, and it's distracting me. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't wear helmets. We didn't wear knee pads, you know. Back when I was a kid, uh, we ate Wish sandwiches and drank flat soda from two liters. Anybody ever have a wish sandwich? You wish there was some meat up in between that bread. And, and the step up from a wish sandwich wasn't much better. It was a potted meat sandwich. Yeah. I, I actually, not too long ago, Kristen and I were grocery shopping, and I saw some Vienna sausages, which for me as a child were just a staple of sustenance and great nutrition. 
And I said, I'm gonna, I'm, I bought a six-pack of Vienna sausage, and I got home, and I opened them up, and I started to eat them. I said, you know what? It don't taste the same way I remember it tasting. <laughs> and they sat, they sat in the pantry for a while until she finally threw them away. Back when I was a kid, if we got a cut or a scrape, we literally did rub, rub dirt in it to make the bleeding stop. I mean, it really, it really does well there, and, and dirt's good for you, right? Back when I was a kid, we had bottle rocket and BB gun wars. Yep. Back when I was a kid, we walked barefoot outside on gravel in the woods where the snakes roam freely. We weren't scared of no snakes. They were scared of us. Back when I was a kid, we went to school or work sick. It didn't matter. The only get-out-of-school-free card was vomiting or a temperature over 100 degrees. 99.9, oh, you're fine. You'll be all right. You'll be okay. You coughed up what? Oh, so it's good for you. Oh, he only threw up twice last night. He can go to school. Back when I was a kid, we left our homes unlocked and our cars unlocked, right? Now we've got digital Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, something, another locks. And I mean, I'm not making fun of it. I have them too, guys. We have camera uh, monitoring alarm systems, right? We've got them around the church, by the way, just so you guys know. We're moving around the church. We're watching you. We're watching you. Back when I was a kid, literally everyone smoked literally everywhere. <laughs> you remember walking into a restaurant and they would ask you, do you want smoking or non-smoking? Yeah, they just changed that a few years ago in, in Mississippi, the state that I'm from. And uh, we had lived in Tennessee for a while, and we walked into, I believe it was a Cracker Barrel somewhere in Mississippi, and they said smoking or non-smoking. And I thought, oh, I forgot. That's still, I don't think they do it anymore either. But uh, yeah, literally everyone smoked literally ever. I mean, kids as young as eight years old smoking on the playground. That's what the 90s looked like. Now that I'm a parent, uh, I won't even let my kids walk into the front yard unsupervised. Um, I certainly won't let them go to a public restroom alone, you know, unless I can see them maybe. Uh, I every so often will catch a glance of an article, you know, somewhere about the dangers of McDonald's fries, and for at least two weeks we will swear off Happy Meals <laughs> because we don't want to... to fill our kids with all of the stuff. Listen, I am, I am all for safety equipment, right? I am all for uh, safety features. Uh, I'm all for cleaner water, healthier foods. I'm all for vitamins and supplements and medicines that help improve or, or lengthen life. And I'm certainly all for wisdom uh, being used to help build financial security for the future. But there is an obvious truth that we have to come to terms with. And this, it is this, if pursuing and even achieving safety and security uh, were to guarantee freedom from the grip of anxiety, we would be the most peace-filled, joy-filled people ever in the, on the planet and ever in history, right? So here's the truth. Pursuing and even achieving safety and security does not guarantee freedom from the grip of anxiety. It doesn't. It doesn't. And here's the, here's the truth. Anxiety 
is attacking our kids. It's attacking our churches. It's attacking our country like never before. And for many of you, even today, it is attacking you on a new level. And so the question has to be asked. If, if better safety features in our cars and better bicycle helmets and cleaner water and better food and more regulations and more laws passed that are purposed to keep us safe, if they're not working or, or if they're there to keep us safe, to, to help bring us peace, to help give us a sense of security, why do we still struggle as a society with anxiety, not just like we always have, but even worse than we ever have? So I've, I have a few thoughts. And, and even with my first thought, I want to be careful because I don't want to sound, you know, I, I talked about back when I was a kid, and, and, and that is true. Like, I'm not that old, but things have changed a lot in the last couple of decades. But that's not the only place where things have changed a lot in the last couple of decades. And so I think one of the number one reasons why we struggle with anxiety in ways like we never have before is that when you remove God from the equation, anxiety increases. When you remove God from the equation, anxiety increases. When you remove God from schools, anxiety increases in schools. When you remove God from our country and the way our country is ran, and I'm not talking about creating laws that necessarily reflect Christian values, and I'm not even talking about uh, making sure you vote for, for Christian politicians. I what I just mean is men and women of God who love the Lord and who use and who take the influence they have and, and, and behave in such a way that honors the Lord. And when you remove God from our country, anxiety increases. When you remove God from our media and the people who bring us said media, anxiety increases. But most importantly, and this is, this is the crux of the matter, when you remove God from our homes, anxiety increases. I don't believe that the solution to a better country or to a better world is simply just to make sure we elect the right people. Rather, I think it is more imperative that we become the right people. And, that, and, and, and it cannot just start in a church. It cannot start in a school. It, it will not start in Washington, D.C., it needs to start in our homes. It needs to start in the way we treat our spouse. It needs to start in the way we talk to our children. It needs to start in the way we care for our neighbor. It needs to start in that we, ref that, that we welcome God into our lives and understand that, that living for the Lord is not just something that we are meant to do on a Sunday or a Wednesday, but rather everything that I do reflects Him. And when we remove God... We are left with broken people and broken systems to look to. And listen, even the best of human-made systems is flawed because it was made by flawed humans. If you think the next election goes a certain direction and that is going to fix everything, then my friend, you are horribly mistaken. Now certainly I'm not saying that 
we should just throw our hands in the air and say it don't matter. That is not what I'm preaching or what I'm declaring. What I am saying is we cannot expect just to, to write names on a ballot and for that to fix every problem. We have to be the fix to the problem. And it has to start with each one of us. But there is good news. And the good news is that people are hungry and people are ready. I firmly believe that the darker the dark, the brighter the light. And I do believe that, that culture is getting darker, at least than it has been. I do believe that the world is getting more bent away from the Lord, at least than it has been. But I also see the beauty in that. Not that I'm happy about it, but I see that, that, that as it becomes harder for Christians to ride the, you know, the, the so-called fence of faith, right? Uh, that we have to make a decision either to say everything I am, everything I hope to be belongs to the Lord or it doesn't. And as we make the decision for Jesus in a culture and in a world that is increasingly ostracizing men and women who make a decision for Jesus, right? That, that we are able to then shine brighter. And listen, the people, listen, you don't, Paul says this. I, I want to I say this. This is not my notes, so forgive me if this isn't, if I didn't get anybody's pre-approval to say this. But I really do have a problem when we personally attack public figures and we degrade them and we run their name through mud. That's not to say that we cannot publicly disagree with their policies, but you must remember that they too, just like you, were created in the image of Almighty God. And they, too, are a person that Jesus died for. And so the hope should not be that so-and-so would, would, would die or that, that so-and-so would, you know, just lose. But rather, your hope should be that so-and-so would have a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And listen, I, 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 don't, I don't know how many people you've ever tried to minister to or to witness to, but it usually doesn't go well if you start with berating them and condemning them. You guys okay? I don't know if this platform is. People are hungry. People are ready. Many of you have come to Lifehouse over the last few months and even couple of years because God was stirring something inside of you. I think it was, I'm going to look at Tanya. I think it was Tanya that just said, the Lord drew her to our church because she rode by and just felt like she should come here. I love that. Praise the Lord for that. And, and I, uh, I remember a few, well, it's been several weeks ago now when Damar Hamlin tragically went into cardiac arrest on, on, the, on the football field and players came and knelt down and began to pray for him. And, and uh, Dan Orlovsky on the air on ESPN began praying for him. A heartfelt, God-centered, Holy Spirit-inspired prayer for the Lord to move in his life. And, and, and I just, just the other night, uh, my fam or the other day, my family and I, we went and watched the movie Jesus Revolution in theaters. And I don't, usually, I don't usually plug a lot of public ongoing things, but I just want to tell you, I want to encourage you to go watch that movie. Go, go use your money to support what you want to see more of in our culture and in our public spaces. And in that movie, you see in the late 60s and the late 70s, uh, Time Magazine had released an article, I want to say it was in 1966, I believe, 67, they, they, they released, an, or they, they, their cover said, God is dead, right? And then four years later, 
The cover said Jesus Revolution. And, and I, I don't want to be the guy that just says, oh, we're going through that again. But listen, I believe I, with all of my heart that we are living in a time in history in our country and even in our world where, where things have shifted away from the Lord to such a degree that the Holy Spirit is stepping through the pages of our history books and saying, you know what, it's, t- it's time to, to bring about another Jesus Revolution. That's why we're seeing students on college campuses without any fancy lights or fog machines gather for hours and days and weeks on end just to pray and just to worship without anybody having to tell them to do so, but just because they want to gather and experience the Lord. And even here at Lifehouse, I have sensed over the last several months the Holy Spirit moving in our services with greater intensity as people are more hungry and more thirsty to see God move in their lives in their homes, in their families, in our church, in our community, in our schools, and in our country. But when you remove God from whatever it is you want to take him out of, a lack of peace, a lack of joy is what you're going to get. The second reason why I think we live in a time where anxiety is as prevalent as it is is because we are more connected but less social than at any other time in history. We are more connected but less social than any other time in history. Statistically, the more a person uses social media, the less social they actually are. Statistically, the more a person uses social media, the less social they are actually likely to be. And that's because we have traded information for intimacy. You know, I can get online and I can follow somebody on Facebook. I can watch their YouTube videos. I can scroll their Instagram pictures. And I can learn all the factual information I want to know about them. But it doesn't mean that I know them. And the same thing is true in many of our friendships and our relationships. We think we know people because we know that they ate at this restaurant last week because they took a picture of their food, right? And we know that uh, six months ago they went to the, you know, they had a beach vacation with their family. And we know all these things, but yet we don't actually talk to them. We don't have lengthened conversations with them. We don't spend time with them. And so therefore we, we think we know people, but we don't know people. I think, honestly, if this, is, this is a sidebar as well. A lot of us have the same problem in our relationship with the Lord, right? We know facts. We go to church. We hear sermons. We write down points. We, we hear Bible stories. And we think we know the Lord because we know some stuff about him. But we don't know him because we don't spend time with him. Also, with the rise of social media use, we are prone to play the comparison game. Oh, AJ got some new Jordans. I got to get me some Jordans now, which is actually a true story. Yeah. <laughs> Although I didn't see him on social media, he wore them into my office the one day. They're on order. I had to order two sizes because I don't know which one to get. I'll take the other one back. Right? What? No. You can't have them. Why? My, Kristen said no. You know, we, it'll be something like, you know, Don and Lindsay went on a vacation. Man, that must be nice getting to go on vacations. I wish I could go on a vacation. This isn't, this isn't a true story, but this is just 
what happens. And then not only does it make us jealous, but then our opinion of the other person begins to lower because we, be we become resentful, right? And then we compare our life to their life, wishing we had what they had. You know, they take a picture of their family and all their kids look so well put together and you don't see all the junk and the drama that it took to get that, you know, two millisecond moment on film and the other 30 minutes, there were screaming babies and food flying and dirty diapers and everything else to make up that perfect moment of a picture, right? But when you see it, you, 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 feel, you feel attacked, right? You wish your family was that perfect. You wish your life was that put together. And so we, we use social media and we become less social. And then we also become more resentful because we wish what we had, what other people had. This... this that right there is directly related, directly related to the uptick in anxiety, suicide, suicidal thoughts in teens and tweens more than any other situation. Lastly, why are we more anxious today than we have been before, even though we live in the safest society and the safest country and the safest time in history? It's because we've received more tragic information at a quicker rate than all generations before us. From earthquakes in Turkey to homicides in some other state, we can hear more bad news in a day than prior generations would hear in a year. Some, some possibly even a lifetime, right? Anxiety and fear are related, but they are not the same. Let me explain it to you. Fear sees a threat and it reacts, right? You, you, you're driving down the road and the car suddenly stops in front of you and you, maybe you are driving a little too close to, you know, I don't know. I mean, I know if it was me, I probably was. And you react, right? And you slam on your brakes and you go, oh, you know, and maybe, you know, try not to say any profanities if, you know, you're trying to do better, Right? And, 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 and that, that, was a, that was a reaction of fear. And that reaction saved possibly a life. If, if for sure, it saved a lot of trouble and, and heartache, right? Uh, a child, a young child runs out into a parking lot and immediately your mind goes, I got to save them. I got to stop them. And so fear on its own is not necessarily bad because fear can save your life. It can save somebody else's life. Anxiety, though, where, where fear will see a threat and react, anxiety will imagine a threat and then freeze in the moment. Anxiety will put you in this constant state of flight or fight. You might think things like, you know, what if I lose my job? And, and there's no reason why you should think that other than that you're just thinking about things and you think, man, I, if I lost my job, I don't know how this would work out. You might be thinking, what if, what if my spouse were to leave me? What, what if I were to get sick? What if, what if they get sick? I woke up a few, a few nights ago, a few weeks ago in the middle of the night, and this is, this is going to sound funny, but you ever wake up from a dream that absolutely made no sense, but like in your own mind, it was like, whew, that was rough. Well, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I started having these thoughts of, of what if I were to get hurt? Because I'm, really, I'm not really worried about dying. I'm worried about almost dying. Right? Like, if I die, you know, I'm not looking to, for that. That's not something that I'm, like, out pursuing by any means. But, you know, hey, hey, to, to live is Christ and to die is gain, amen. But to almost die, whew. 
that means, that means somebody else is going to take care of you. That means, that means when you go to the bathroom, you're going to need help, right? That, that, you know what I'm saying? So I started having this thought like, what if I got really sick? Or what if I got into a car accident and didn't die, but almost died? Now, listen, I know y'all think I'm crazy, and you're right. I am. And then, you know, I started, I started thinking about the church. I started thinking about Lifehouse. You know, how, what, how, how would we take care of Lifehouse? And I started thinking, thinking about Kristen. And I thought, oh, I don't want Kristen to have to, to, you know, I don't want her to have to take care of me like that. That's not right. I don't want that. And then I started thinking about money. And then I started thinking about my kids. And then as I thought about my kids, I started thinking about, man, they're going to need braces one day. <laughs> I, wish, I wish this was a sermon illustration. I wish I was just making this up. I spent an hour and a half a few weeks ago in the middle of the night going through all these scenarios about how if I got hurt and then if they need braces and then, and then just everything and anything else, I, I finally wound up thinking about what if I needed to replace the roof on my house? I don't have the money to do that right now. How are we going to do that? I mean, the roof's not even that old, but, you know, at some point it's going to need replacing. If we don't move, then the roof's going to need to be replaced. And then, and then literally I thought I was reminded of what Peter said, cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. And I just started quoting that scripture to myself. Now, listen, I know that the things I were thinking, you, you hear them right now, and you're thinking, Drew, come on, come on, come on, for real. But listen, if you've ever been there, you know how it feels in that moment. So I just started quoting the passage of scripture to myself. Cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Cast your care. And so I would say, Lord, I'm just giving you that care. I'm just giving you that care. And listen, Lifehouse, I've kept no secrets from you in that I have struggled with anxiety in my life. If you've been attending this church for any length of time, you know, I have talked about it freely. I've talked about it openly. I don't hold things back from you. I believe that the best way I can do ministry as a pastor is to be an authentic human being in front of you, to not try to put up a facade and try to be somebody I'm not. I don't tell you everything, but I tell you most everything, right? There are a few things I hold back that I, I'll wait at least a few years to share with you, <laughs> right? That's kind of how it, you know, at least, you know, I give us some time and space where like, you know, two years has separated me from the incident. I don't quite look as bad. But I've kept no secret that anxiety has been something in my life that I have struggled with. And listen, I am not where I want to be with that. But thank God I'm not where I used to be with that. I'm better than I used to be because the Lord's been working in me. And Kristen's been working in me. And, and friends have been working in me. And mentors have been working in me. And the Word of God has been working in me. And listen, if there, there, there is a level of anxiety that you can suffer from. You need to get medical help. You need to see a doctor. You need to see a counselor. You need to see a therapist. You may even need to take medication. And can I tell you a little secret? That's okay. That's okay. You get the help that you need, and whatever you do, don't give up. Don't stop fighting the fight against anxiety. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be your normal. And I think a lot of times that's the, the trap that we fall into, right? We say, oh, this is just how I am. Well, it doesn't have to be. You don't have to be satisfied with that. You don't have to accept that as who you are or that as your normal because the word of God says, he who is in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are made new. And Jesus didn't die on a cross so that you could accept anxiety as your normal so that you could accept fear and worry as your normal so don't stop fighting 
Keep declaring the truth of God over your life. Keep declaring the promises of God over your life. And if you need more help than that, if you need a therapist, if you need a counselor, if you, even if you need medication, get the help you need and do not stop fighting the fight against anxiety. Amen? Amen. So, again, Isaiah 41.10. The reason why I wanted to preach this message today, and I've actually been waiting on it for a while to dive into this series through anxiety, is because I, I'm, I use version, the Bible app, on my phone. I know a lot of people do. And some of you may have received the same email. But I remember getting an email at the end of 2022, and it said the most highlighted verse of the year was Isaiah 41.10. I just felt heavy on my heart that that just reveals so much about where we are, not as a country, not even as a world, but where we are as a church. Not Lifehouse Church necessarily, but the church all around the world. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Can I read it one more time? Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. This beautiful verse echoes a conversation between God and Moses that you can read about in Exodus chapter 3. Moses one day is out tending his father-in-law's sheep, right? And off in the distance, the word tells us that he sees a bush that is on fire, but it's not being consumed. And so Moses, like any good curious man, would go and see what's going on over here. And as he walks, he gets closer to the, what we would eventually call the burning bush. The voice of the Lord speaks to him and says to remove his sandals. And so, you know, that's good for if you're on Mount Hora, but don't do it in Lifehouse. But um, just kidding. And he gets closer to the bush and God reveals to Moses, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt, the land that you fled away from 40 years ago. I want you to confront Pharaoh and I want you to tell him it is time to free the Hebrew people and to lead them out of captivity and into the land that I gave to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and Moses is listening to God and you, you got to think, has anybody ever thought to yourself, if I could just see a miracle, it would make it so much, e make, make it so much easier to trust God. I know I've said that. If I, could just see, if I could just hear an audible voice, right? If I could just see a miracle, if I could just see something. Well, Moses got that. Moses saw something on fire that did not stop, it, did, that, that was not consumed. And he also heard an audible voice from God. So don't think that a miracle is going to give you the faith that you need. Just FYI. And so, so God tells Moses, go back to Egypt, free my people. And Moses' response, first of all, was, who am I? Who am I to go and speak to Pharaoh? Who am I to go and be the leader of Israel? And God essentially responds to him, and he says, it doesn't matter. I'm with you. 
or how we would say it in the South, it don't matter. I'm with you. And then Moses says, well, what if, what if they think I'm crazy? What if, what if the people of Israel think I'm crazy? And God says to him, it don't matter. I'm with you. And then Moses, he keeps going. He says, well, what if they don't listen to me? What if I tell them, you know, you sent me. What if I tell them, you know, all the things that you've told me, but they don't, they don't listen to me. And he says, it don't matter. I'm with you. And then Moses says, what if, what if they don't believe you actually sent me? What if they think I'm just going because I want to go? And they don't believe that you're with me. They don't believe that you're the one that sent me. And God says, can you guess? It don't matter. But why doesn't it matter? Because I'm with you, Moses. I'm with you. Moses says, but I'm not good with words. I'm, I'm not good. I'm not good at speaking in front of people. I, I, I'm prone to stuttering. I don't, sometimes I have great thoughts, but then I struggle to get them out. And God says, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because I'm going to be with you. Now, obviously, if you're familiar with this story, there's a whole bunch more packed into what I'm saying. But essentially, for every one of Moses' what ifs and why nots, God's response to him was, but I'm with you, Moses. So here, if you don't hear anything else, hear this today. God's answer for your anxiety is, is not more safety. It's not more security. It's not more talent. It's not more time. And it's certainly not more money. It's him. God's answer to anxiety is himself. God's answer to your anxiety is God. God's answer to your what if is that God will be with you. God's answer to your fear about tomorrow is that I am already in tomorrow and I am already at work in tomorrow and I will be with you today and I will be with you tomorrow. God's answer for how are you going to raise your kids in this world that we're living in is not, it's not even better schools or better, better policies or better government. God's answer for all of your worries and all of your concerns boils down to one truth, that in the middle of a world that is seemingly collapsing around us, in the middle of a world where we cannot depend on anything, in the middle of a world where we literally do not know what bad news we may receive tomorrow, God says, I am with you, and that and that alone is what gives you peace. And that and that alone is what you have to fight and battle anxiety, worry, and fear. Because God's answer to every fear, God's answer to every anxiety, God's answer to every what if and why not is always, but I will be with you. Come on, give him praise this morning. God's answer anxiety is himself. He told Isaiah to tell Israel, don't be afraid for I am with you. Jesus said it like this in John 16, He said, I've told you all this so that you may have peace and advanced safety technologies in your automobile. Blind spot monitoring, automated driving capability. No, come on, guys. I told you all this so that you may have peace in me. And that's a promise. 
He said, and here's another promise, and we don't like this promise as much, but my friend, it is just as much a promise. He said, here on this earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Come on, I can testify to that. He wasn't lying when he said that. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. In other words, this is what Jesus is saying. He said, listen, this world here on earth, you will have trials, you will have sorrows, you will have troubles, you will have pain, you will have reasons to worry, you will have reasons to be anxious, you will have reasons to be afraid. And earth will offer you solutions, right? Earth is going to tell you, the world is going to tell you, the people are going to tell you, hey, if you buy this this thing, if you buy this car, if you buy this alarm system, or if you invest in this fund, or if you save in this thing, or if you, if you go get this, or if you do this, or if you vote for this person, you'll be safe, you'll be secure. And Jesus is essentially saying, listen, the problem and the fatal flaw with all of those things is they were created by people who were flawed, and because the people who made them were flawed, the systems and the products themselves are always flawed. And listen, I don't care who you are. I don't care how great you are. You, at some point, will become undependable. Listen, you can't always depend on me to do everything right all the time. I will let you down. Not because I want to, but because I'm a person. And even people with the best of intentions and the best of heart, at some point, in some way, they will let you down because that is the nature of being a human. But there is a God who says, cast all your cares upon me, for I care for you, who will never leave you or forsake you. He won't let you down. He won't let you down. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the flawed systems of humanity. I have overcome the flaws of this world, and I will never let you down. So take take heart. You can have peace in me. I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. I have two questions and my first one is this. Is Jesus with you? And what I mean by that is are you far from the Lord today? And would you say, I want to be close to God again? I want to receive Jesus in my life as Emmanuel, God with me. I want him to save me from myself, to save me from my sin, to make me new again, and to help me live my life for him. I want him to forgive me of my sins. I want him to be my Savior and my Lord. If that's you, would you lift your hand so I can pray for you right where you are? I see you. I see you. body, can we pray this together? Heavenly Father, come on, let's pray it together. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Forgive me of my sin. Make me new again. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to live for you every day of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate those three people? Raise their hand. Now, my next question is this. 
you can, you can look around for this one. Do you need peace in the middle of a storm? You see, we want God to make the storm go away, right? We want to take it to the Lord and Him just say, hey, everything's better now. Don't worry about it anymore. And sometimes He, he does that. But let's be honest, that's not how He usually operates. What He does promise, though, is that He will be with us even in the middle of the storm. And that He will give us strength to come through the other side. Do you need peace? Do you need freedom from anxiety, worry, and fear? Have you been battling it, but you feel like lately you've been losing that battle? I want to pray for you today, if that's you. Would you lift your hand if that's your situation today?